welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of 1% Better and it's great to have you along. Looking forward to sharing this one and I'll talk about my guest in a minute. Just a couple of quick call-outs, keeping this nice and short. In the last week, I think last Saturday, I spun up a group on the platform that is known as Slack and it's it's really trying to build a community of folks that listen to the podcast, that follow some of the content all around self-improvement in a number of different areas. I put a link out and there's a link on the website for you to sign up it's free and uh, it's a free service at this point so please do check that out if you're interested those folks that do sign up i really would love if you're active in there sharing ideas certainly asking me questions i do have ideas for future episodes where i can hopefully use some of the functionality in slack have folks dial in and maybe have a conversation and have some questions and answers going on there so slack group community based service help each other out that's the kind of gist of it check it out link on the website be great to have you there last week's episode was with brock lewin all about coffee and business and the business of coffee he is the founder and owner of badger and dodo and a very interesting guy a very nice guy and definitely one i was delighted to chat with and i was absolutely delighted when he gave me a few bags of coffee Uh, that wasn't on the plan but i'll take it so check that one out if you haven't done already really good listenership on that one connecting with a lot of people and a good story so check it out so this week's episode is one that i've been looking forward to record for a long time and now delighted to share it just recorded it last week in the plush surrounds of the metropole hotel in cork thanks to the folks that let us use the lobby there for that definitely nice to have people walking by when we're doing these interviews a little bit of extra ambience in there certainly with a bit of background music hopefully it doesn't detract only add to the interview but it was an uh, enjoyable environment so thanks again for that it's with Deirdre Shocknessy as I said an award winning journalist these interviews when I talk to journalists always make me that little bit more not anxious but excited as well making sure that I'm well prepared and hopefully asking good questions. So we got into that and talked a bit about Deirdre's upcoming interview with Mary Robinson, which is one that she's really looking forward to, as you'll hear. In the same vein of 1% better episodes in the past, we talk about success. I try to dig into Deirdre's areas of her core values. What comes out from that is very interesting. And it was really, really enjoyable hour or so that we, we spent together. Delighted to share it now. If you do enjoy it, please do consider sharing it within your own network that really helps me expand the reach and help others maybe hear about the show and take something from it as well so look i'll leave it there thanks again to deirdre i hope you enjoy listening to this one guys have a great week great weekend or whenever it is you're listening hopefully everything is good here we go episode 118 with deirdre o'shaughnessy enjoy Hey folks, welcome to another episode of 1% Better, uh, another one where I'm on location and apologies in advance if you hear kind of tranquil music in the background. I, I checked this out before and I don't think they can hear it, but it might, might kind of add to the uh, the ambience. Um, and I'm delighted to be here with Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, or do you say O'Shaughnessy? Which do you prefer? O'Shaughnessy, yeah, unless, I, unless you're talking to English people, it's easier to say O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> That's fine, good. I, I, uh, I'll go with the O'Shaughnessy part. Deirdre, thanks a million for doing this. Um, excited to chat with you. But also equally kind of uh, nervous about it because when I'm interviewing somebody that is typically interviewing people, it's always a little bit more 
are they kind of watching me to see what I'm at or, you know, is this guy an amateur or whatever? So I think these days you've so, I suppose I'm only working as a journalist as long as citizen journalists have been around. Okay. Um, and I remember the big like wars, culture wars about this from the early days of Twitter and things, you know, people taking pictures of accidents and crash sites and whatever else. And these days, like, I think the level of training most people get in their jobs these days is so minimal that um, probably a well-equipped amateur like yourself is probably more knowledgeable about a lot of this than I am. Um, don't forget, I came from newspapers. I'm not a radio person. Mm. If one of my colleagues from 96FM was here now, they'd be examining your equipment and asking you about your mics and everything. I have never given a sugar about any of that stuff. Unless you can't hear someone, that's my only preoccupation. But my, my, my thing is always, are the questions um, interesting and are the audience going to be engaged? That's my main priority always. Okay, and that just adds more pressure to me right now. Um, so on that, right, at the moment you're preparing for an interview with Mary Robinson. Yeah. And my thinking through this was, how do you prepare for that? And, and just on those questions, I'd love to know a little bit about your process. Oh, or... yeah, that's a big one. And I have to say, for me, it's really like, it's amazing and it's such an honour to be asked to interview her. Um, it's at the West Cork Literary Festival where I have been one of the interviewers for the past... Um, four years I think uh, with a break one year because I was pregnant I didn't think I could cope with it and I was I was glad afterwards that I didn't because of the, the, the interviewee I think I was going to be offered but that's a, that's a separate issue um, yeah so Mary Robinson is one of the speakers she's kind of their headline speaker um, so first of all there's a bit of pressure in interviewing the headline speaker she was sold out I'd say before she even went on sale I don't know how fast um, she's obviously been interviewed by everyone she is the most probably mm-hmm. famous Irish woman ever Um, she's huge but I suppose I'm lucky in that I have a brief for the interview it's about her book so it's a book festival it's about her book it's not necessarily about her entire career because I mean you know there is a book in that and she's written the book so Mm. um I have that brief and I'm more or less sticking to that. It's not a long running time for an interview. It's about an hour. Um, so, you know, for somebody of that breadth, like I'm not going to be going into her deepest childhood memories and, yeah. you know, what were they, all those men around you when you were signing the book to become president really saying, mm. um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be going there. Uh, for me, I suppose it's a bit of a fangirl moment as well. And I think no matter how professional you are, you're going to have that. And you see that with the most seasoned interviewers. Sometimes you know they're interviewing someone they kind of have a bit of a girl crush on or whatever. And they're going, oh my God, what do I say to this person? So... In the preparation for that, obviously I've read the book. That's yeah. the main thing, you know. <laughs> it's important to do that. Um, it is, and you'd be surprised at how often it doesn't happen yeah. because yeah. Um, a lot of the times you'll get a pitch from a PR company to, for the show, say, to interview somebody about their book, which they have not sent you. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's an insult to the author apart from anyone else. Sure. And obviously we're busy and every program is busy, but... Um, I kind of feel myself presenters shouldn't be interviewing someone about their book if they're not interested yeah. in that book and sure. that topic anyway. And it would come across, I'd imagine, as yeah. well if you're kind yeah. of bluffing it. Like. Yeah, I mean, even if the researcher has read it and, and put forward the questions, that's mm. something. But a lot of the time they don't even assume you'll do that. So, no, I've read the book. I am thinking about it is is really most of it. It's usually a day or two before that I'll, I might jot down a few questions. Okay. For some interviews I don't even do that. Um, mm. For somebody like Mary Robinson obviously there are particular things people want to address. The book is Climate Justice so it's about that. It's about climate change. I've listened to her podcast with Maeve Higgins which you may have come across Mothers of Invention mm-hmm. um, 
and that has informed a lot of it because the content in that is very similar to the content in the book. Um, really, the book is about stories of women she has met or herself through her work um, with the UN and with climate change through her foundation. So I'll be asking her about those women, about their stories, about why she was compelled to tell those stories. Um, she has given a lot of interviews on this before, so I've listened to those. Okay. Um, say she's, she's talked about um, the only meat she eats now is, you know, Connemara lamb because she can't really resist it, but also she's kind of reasonably confident and it's it's being less um, bad for the environment than some other, you know, if meat is flown across the world kind of right, thing. Right. So I have a fair idea of what I'm going to ask her in generalities. But as regards specific questions, I don't find it helpful to write down a load of specific questions because then you don't hear the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you're too ready to jump on to the next question. Mm-hmm. And I think you can hear it with... Um, different presenters some presenters are really really good at finding a thread that's what I would always be looking for is that someone is weaving you a a fabric of a story and sometimes if you find a thread to pull you can really unravel that story into something much more interesting Mm. so a lot of the time the story the person came to tell you is not as interesting interesting as the one that they touch on and that you can go to Um, so I do think sometimes having kind of a very prescribed set of questions is really damaging to the potential of an interview you know yeah so in that scenario you will allow yourself to go off in a complete Absolutely. different tangent. So you don't have a specific remit that you want to get no. out there. Okay. Beyond the book. Like so the book people want yeah. to know about the book. People want to know about climate justice and yeah. her role in campaigning for that. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously in a I'm very conscious as well in a live interview in front of an audience the audience will have questions sure. um, and I'm there to facilitate them I'm not there for my own hobby horse as much as there's loads of things I'd like to ask her yeah. myself um, they're you know I'm there to facilitate them and they've paid for tickets and they, they have particular questions so mm. usually when I'm doing an event like that depending on who it is and depending on the level of interest um, I would be quite open to audience questions like if I see somebody reacting to something in the audience I would be interactive with them but often kind of say you know you, you're not happy with that answer yeah. lady in the front with the red dress yeah. is there something else you want to add or is there mm. something else you want to find out um, for this I probably wouldn't be that loose because yeah. she's obviously quite an you know I suppose uh, an experienced person and there's a lot of other things people may want to bring up which were, are not within the remit of the event or of the festival um, like I suppose in the nature of the festival it's not a controversial event mm-hmm. we're not at a press conference we're not at a news conference right. um, so I have to be conscious of that as well mm-hmm. um, you know even though I mean currently Mary Robinson is in the news because of the um, yeah. situation with the princess from the UAE so obviously somebody from the audience I assume is probably going to ask that question so I may not need to um, but equally I'm not sure it's appropriate for that event mm. so that's a bit of a tough one Interesting. Mm. To your point though, of maybe going in with very few questions, mm. you know, the, the new Tommy Tiernan show where he, yeah. he has no questions. Yeah. And I was watching that one night recently. I think it was Adam Clayton he was interviewing. And I didn't know that he had no, he didn't know who was coming out. Yeah. And I was very struck by his just focus and, and ability to listen yeah. actively and almost empathetically to what yeah. he was saying and ask great questions afterwards. And then it, I found out after yeah. he didn't know who it was going to be. So it really adds to the, the connection, doesn't oh, it? Oh, people, it's, I find it so interesting. I suppose as a professional journalist, I remember when this show came out first, I was a bit like, that's a bit insulting. We put so much work into what we do and all the rest of it. But actually, um, 
it's so refreshing to see it because so much of the interview circuit and the talk show circuit is literally yeah, I'm plugging this I'm plugging that talk to me about this you're not allowed to ask about that um, and it is formulaic a lot of the time mm. um, you know and say our show is quite different from that because our show is ordinary people ringing us with problems that they want to talk about. You know, we're not interested generally in pursuing a celebrity to have them on because we have to have them on um, or, you know, getting a big name or whatever. That's not our thing. Mm. So what we're interested in is the story. Mm. Um, and I think that's the same as the Tommy Tiernan show in many respects. Like oftentimes somebody will ring us. I remember years ago somebody ringing about a particular thing. Um, it was... Um, a lady rang about her dog something to do with her okay. dog and she rang about the dog and she was getting really upset about this dog I was like oh she's a bit like she's over the top about this dog cheapers <laughs> and I was obviously I was empathetic because I have a dog too and I was like oh this is you know that's awful Mary whatever yeah. and then I realised she was actually just way too upset for it to be just the dog mm. and I kind of said God and you know what what's wrong like there's something else wrong here her husband had just died and it was right. the husband's dog and okay. that was the story and that was what was wrong and that was why she was so upset and there was a whole story about the husband dying and everything and that's where we ended up yeah. and I kind of meant that's actually that's what's driving the emotion and with a show like ours an awful lot of it is emotion um, whether it's a story like this morning with a story of a woman being violently assaulted and that's going to provoke emotions and people people are going to be angry about it they're going to be sad um, and what you want is is emotion rather than you know kind of oh this is my you know this is my new TV show that I'm making and you should all watch it you know Um, and I think Tommy Tiernan has really shown the talk show format up Mm. for what it has become actually Um, and I suppose he's such a sort of a wise old magician wizard character you know that people respond very well to him anyway because he can ask a question in a way that would be perceived as rude coming from a lot of other people but because it's Tommy Tiernan they're a bit like okay mm. um, I mean I watched it last weekend when there was a lady on from Somalia who had experienced FGM and he because he they know he doesn't know who's coming mm. he's able to ask questions that might appear really ignorant and yes, unresearched exactly, yeah. because he's not supposed to have done any research yeah, yeah. and in many ways like sometimes you have to bring it back to that anyway in a professional context because I'll often say to PJ PJ will be talking to somebody and he'll know what they're on about and they'll know what they're on about and I have to say to PJ can you go back to step one here mm. and you know ask them like is the sky blue because the audience don't know what yeah. colour the sky is in this context so yeah. um, Tommy Tiernan is really bringing it back to brass tacks and he's bringing it back to the reason why people are interested in other people's stories and it's because they'll provoke emotions and because they're unexpected and there's real beauty in that mm. Very interesting. And obviously, I definitely didn't plan to talk about this, so we're definitely going off on tangents there. Um, do you do you get nervous interviewing people? Or how do you deal with your own emotions? Do they yeah, come into play? They do. And I don't have a problem with that because I think that's human interaction. And if you didn't emote in some cases on some stories you wouldn't ask the right questions mm-hmm. um, you know people sometimes can be critical of Miriam O'Callaghan because Miriam O'Callaghan would be visibly upset so, sometimes talking to somebody um, but I think that's like a particularly feminine reaction sometimes um, and I think that like that adds to her persona I suppose as a broadcaster but it also adds to her approachability and it does mean people will tell her things they wouldn't tell somebody else um, there was an item on Sean work last week I can't remember exactly what it was but it was somebody who had been through some terrible thing and he was audibly upset mm. by it and I think pretending you know there's impartiality um, in a you know a news context or a political context or whatever but like you can't be impartial about 
some things you know you can't be impartial about a dead child or you can't be impartial yeah. about something universally awful um you have to be your fir- first your human you know mm-hmm. no very very interesting you mentioned mary mccallan is there other kind of influencers or interviewers that you really admire respect learn from over the years um yeah i mean everybody brings different strengths to it you know um I suppose the Irish context is the most important for me because like a lot of my colleagues, now PJ would listen to LBC a lot mm. um, and he enjoys that style of radio. I would listen to um, a lot of podcasts, um, Irish shows really because it's Irish current affairs I'm mostly interested in. Um, Sean O'Rourke is very good, very analytical and I really enjoy that. I think Pat Kenny is underrated. People give him an awful lot of flack but he's so clever mm. and if he's interested in something, that's where you really see him shine, you know. Um, Ryan Tuberty can be very good on particular things. Um, really, everybody has their own strengths. Like, people give out about Ray Darcy, and myself, I'd be throwing the radio at the wall somebody's listening to him. Um, but he has a very particular way of doing that, like going back to brass tacks with a topic and kind of acting the aegis, like, I don't know anything about this, tell me about it, that really brings out the best in people, that they're kind of explaining something to him that he obviously does know all about, but that he's he's getting a grasp on something for the listener um, in a way that isn't patronising a lot of the time. Um but I think, yeah, I mean, I love Sean Moncrief because I, I love how irreverent he is. Mm. And like a listener will text in to Sean Moncrief and be like, oh, you this and you that. And Sean Moncrief is like, why are you even listening to me? Like, you've no interest in this. Go away. Yeah. And that's so refreshing to be able to do that too. Um, I mean, we all get a bit of that from listeners of, oh, you, you're like this and you're like that and whatever. And I mean, we're lucky, I suppose, in terms of we're not publicly funded and mm-hmm. Sean Moncrief isn't either. Mm-hmm. And there's an absolute joy in being able to put down the phone on someone sometimes, right. uh, which we're able to do, okay. which, I mean, God, if I worked in RT, I'd be, I'd have lost my job by now, probably, yeah. um, because you can't do that when you're taxpayer funded. Right. So um, to go back to your question, uh, lots of different broadcasters that I enjoy for, just for all for different reasons, really. Mm. Through journalism, school and l- learning the craft, how do you approach making a great question what is what is involved in that uh, I didn't go to journalism school first of all the advice from my uncle who was a, a radio producer actually um, years ago uh, now works in PR on the dark side um, was study something else so that you know about something to bring with you into journalism okay. um, I often do think the better people in broadcasting journalism are people who did other things too right um, now I never worked on anything else myself but I studied law and actually that probably was quite instructive in how to form a good question because it teaches you to be analytical and to parse things um, and that can be a very useful thing like a lot of the time you'll hear somebody in an interview saying something without saying anything and I think having studied law you can say no hang on a minute go back to that what does that mean mm-hmm. and what actually are you saying here and it's certainly in political interviews and things like that mm-hmm. you know being able to ask a question a number of different ways is useful being able to realise in real time that someone is spoofing you is very useful mm-hmm. um, in terms of how to craft a good question I suppose because of the nature of our show you're thinking your feet all the time like most of the time we don't know who's who's who we're going to have next on the phone mm-hmm. Um now, some of it is lined up. A lot of it isn't. The best items often are not. Mm. Um, like the best thing oftentimes for us is you're there at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday and you're going, oh, God, nothing. It's a really slow news day. <laughs> you know, there's a problem with the bus service in Cargill Line and there's someone else ringing in about their bin. And oh, God, 
and then nobody you had lined up is answering the phone at quarter to nine and you're looking at like what's PJ going to do he's going right. to sit there talking to himself and then someone rings in with something absolutely unexpected and the whole morning just ignites oh, that. and like those are the best days because it is the sense of the unexpected it is the sense that things are moving that you're progressing through some story um, I mean it's a very small example of it but one of my favourite ever days on the show was we're having one of those humdrum normal local radio days where, you know, it's a bin and a this and a that and maybe a politician and maybe somebody talking about a crime and whatever. And somebody ran, rang in to say there was a family of swans on the Blackpool bypass and like, what were they going to do about them? And throughout the whole show, we followed the family of swans around the city and people were literally, you know, oh, they're here now. And, you know, I minded them crossing the road and then they were somewhere else. And it was just such a perfect example of sort of how you can go from the mundane to the absurd but also kind of very heartwarming mm. um, and like those kind of things are just gold you know they're the kind of things that go viral yeah. uh, because people love those stories you know it's a shaggy dog story or whatever um, and you can be doing all the serious journalism in the world but when something like that comes along that's like oh that was gold you know <laughs> heart melting stuff yeah, yeah. Um, I know we joked beforehand, uh, this isn't kind of uh, the red book and this is your life sort of story. Yeah. So I am trying to avoid these kind of looking back. And, oh, that's all right. Know, <laughs> there's somebody coming around the corner here now in a second with a book. No, they're not. Really. <laughs> um, but, but to your point on when you went to and studied law mm. and, and maybe through the, the learnings there taught you how to maybe dive in and, mm. and kind of ask a deeper question when you can sense an, an, a, the, the lack of truth coming yeah. out. Was there a passion for that area or what, what did you want to be when you grow up? I guess the, the standard question is... It was the is. Celtic Tiger and I was good at school. Okay. And basically they're like, oh, you're good at English and history, you should definitely be a solicitor. That's basically the the, the answer. What I should have done was English. Um, I loved English. I read all around me. I still do. Um, or languages. I was very good at languages. But um, I couldn't see a job in that. And yeah. it was particularly, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very sort of results orientated. And uh, I remember like sitting there looking at the CEO from going, well, if I do languages, what's the job out of languages? Right. Sure. I don't know what job that would give me. Mm. Um, at the time, I wasn't aware of, you know, Apple <laughs> or yeah. Yeah, any yeah. of these things. You know, the way I suppose at the time, like you're looking at the early noughties, it was kind of before the Celtic time or it hit rural Ireland really but we did know like being a solicitor was a good job and there's lots sure. of jobs in that um, and just a total lack of awareness of the world so I did law and European studies which did incorporate French um, and sociology but I I enjoyed studying the law and still it can be useful in the most unexpected ways you know um, I for example you know I'm on um a couple of boards and certain things come up and you're like oh yes I remember this you know I remember what this applies to but um, and in in work the odd time it can be useful but I never worked in it so like knowing things like court procedures and stuff is beyond me because I, I never okay. dealt with any of that um, but no I enjoyed it it's it's a good topic to study mm-hmm. it's a certainly a very interesting subject area you learn an awful lot of, out of, about people um, via studying law like criminal law is fascinating it's mm-hmm. a fascinating area um, and yeah, I mean, I don't regret doing it. I think it was very good for me at the time. Mm. Um, but, you know, like my retirement plan is to go back and do a degree where I can just read books all day, you know, um, in whatever language I can still yeah. speak at the time, you know. Yeah, we're talking with you offline as well in relation to executive coaching. Mm. When I found that and I had the reading list to do a diploma in that, I kind of read, well, I've read half these books already. So it's, yeah. it's a massive 
it's great when you find something that you're passionate yes. about in that, that yeah. respect. Where did the, the kind of angle of, of media come in then or how did that start becoming uh, cause, a Because I enjoyed writing um, right. and I was always interested in current affairs. Um, like I used to write letters to the newspaper when I was in secondary school. So okay. like I was one of those children, you one know. Of those, um, so um, interestingly enough, God, I, I came across something from the European Parliament the other day about the immigration issue and actually one of my first ever epistles to the examiner was um, about a documentary called Fortress Europe so it just shows you nothing changes, you know. Like as a journalist you get used to the news cycle reporting the same stories all the time um, and that kind of is an example of it like that's 20 years ago you know but um, yeah so I was always interested in it in writing and in communications and in, in communication generally and in current affairs so it was kind of a good fit um, and I suppose I like variety Right but where did I suppose what was the first opportunity to work in that area um, I up? applied for a summer a summer work experience in the Limerick Leader which they wouldn't take me on because they didn't take secondary school students. So I had a big row with them about that at the time. I remember like uh, having a phone call with the editor. Yeah, I did work experience in the Irish Times for a week when I was in fifth year. Okay. Did this transition year work experience placement. I didn't do transition year, but I went during fifth year anyway. Um, and oh my God, when I think of it, they sent us to the, the was it the flood tribunal? It was basically just trying to get us out of the office. You know, there was a couple of things where they were like, oh, this is what the computers look like. And, you know, but journalists are overworked and not that inclined to be minding teenagers, really. So they sent us up to the tribunal in Dublin Castle where we sat for half a day, absolutely bored off our faces, didn't have a clue what was going on. And we came home and they, they were like, oh, write that up now. And we were like, what? So I still have somewhere at home in a scrapbook a half a written up story about that day's goings on in the tribunal which was actually the one to do with the awarding of the radio licences. So now I probably uh, would have a better idea what it was about. Um, So I did that. Then when I was in I went to UL to do law and there's a student newspaper there which is I can't remember I think it's just recently in the last couple of years just gone online and I was the editor of that for a year. So I did bits for that throughout college. And then the position as editor of that was actually an elected job. So I ran for the election for that. It was a student's union position. Ran for the election, did that full-time for a year. So it was a paid full-time job. And actually, I would still say it was the best work experience I could have ever got because um, I was solely responsible for the newspaper happening, you know. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's an immense amount of responsibility. Yeah. Like, obviously, in the students' union, realistically, nobody was going to know if it was late or not except me. But I knew, and sure. um, every two weeks during term time, that paper had to come out, and there had to be thousands of copies distributed around campus. Um, and it was just great responsibility. Like, we in charge of a team of volunteers. Mm. Great experience in management when nobody is paid and you can't threaten anyone. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Dock my no pay. Really. Yeah. It is, you know, it's very useful. Now the thing is libel law still apply. Okay. So that's um a bit of a learning curve and that was a very useful lesson to learn very early. Um thankfully we didn't have any major issues, but other editors had previously mm. um, and the union had been sued for quite an amount of money in previous years for an article that had been in the paper so I suppose I was aware of all those things and I, I um, learned about them very early mm. um, and from there then I said I suppose it was it was still the Celtic Tiger it was 2006 when I finished college um, there was 
new newspapers popping up everywhere at the time mm. um, contrary to all common sense really when you look back um, at the way things are going but um, I got a job in uh, I had been doing a column for a local free paper in Limerick their sister paper in Galway the Galway Independent was recruiting they were really badly stuck like right. I'm sure I hadn't an ounce of experience yeah. and I sort of blagged my way through the interview they were like oh you have a law degree can you do courts and I was like yeah I probably can yeah yeah. Can they were like do it after sort of exactly thing, like, yeah, you know yeah. and um, sort of say yes and then figure it out yeah. and that's what I did and um, I'd say they probably regretted that after a while but I think um, it was a very good time to be able to take a chance you know and it's they took a chance on me as well it's funny I would look back looking back at that time you know people say would you not have gone and done a master's in journalism mm. and people I know who did went and they got a placement in a national paper or a national newsroom Um which was like amazing and very prestigious and everything. But most of them were let go during the recession because they were the last in. Sure. Whereas I was just so lucky. Like I was never out of work in the recession. And given the years in, in question, I suppose. Um, so I spent two years in the Galway Independent, um, became deputy editor there. Then they um, transferred me to Cork where I was the editor and became the editor. So I was 25. I was the editor of a local paper. Okay. Um and it was just great because so much freedom um, because it was a free paper and it's really funny the narrative and all of this has really changed um, at the time I remember even like my mother was a bit like oh like a free paper would you not go and try and work in the Irish Times kind of thing and I was like do you know what I've great freedom here mm. um, I can you know if I have kind of hobby horses that I'm interested in I can write about them yeah. um, and you know because it's a free paper I suppose there isn't as much pressure to sell copies obviously mm. and that meant that you know if I was interested in things I could pursue them if I wasn't I suppose ethically comfortable with other things I didn't have to pursue them um, you know there was no knocking on doors of, of murdered kids or whatever mm. which people have to do in the course of any or the journalism job really um you know and I've had to do a lot more of that kind of thing in the radio station um so really it was just um it was a great experience and it was I suppose at the same time as social media was just starting to be a thing yeah. and I was very lucky with the timing in that I got in there at exactly the right time and I was exactly the right age to be at the beginning of all of it okay. um so I think and I have yet to be proven wrong but I think we were the first newspaper in Ireland with a Facebook page wow yeah, and of course, obviously, everyone has one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was actually looking, believe it or not, I was looking back at my own LinkedIn yesterday to remind myself of, of dates of things. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were shortlisted for Golden Spiders and for Irish Web Awards and for Sockies and all of them in the very early days because we were one of the only ones doing it. Right. Like, we were shortlisted in the same category as the Irish Times for our Facebook page. Okay. Like, because there was no one else, I think, really, sure, actually. Sure. Um, so it was very exciting. Um, and... Again, because I suppose nowadays people are so used to getting their news for free, the idea of a free newspaper is not as sort of um, down market as it was. Mm. Um, and I guess with the Evening Standard in London going free and other things like that, people don't look back at it the way they looked at it at the time right. um, in terms of prestige. So, um, And that all was changing at that time. So I was very lucky really because of the social media and because I've been so active on Twitter, uh, particularly Twitter at the time, um, I got a lot of opportunities that way. Mm. Um, 
So like I, I through Twitter, the Vincent Brown team say contacted me right. and I uh, began to appear semi regularly on that as regularly as having a full time job in Cork would allow. Okay. Um, every few weeks on that doing the newspaper you panels. To go to Dublin for that yeah, okay, and yeah. um, but I mean it was an amazing experience, you know. Sure. Um, and I, you know, I would have been on shows like The Frontline mm. and um, what else? couple of different ones I'm trying to think Claire Byrne I think once um, a lot of different shows basically you know and people are very funny about access to the media people, oh that's very hard to get into well some things are very hard to get into but actually you know I know from being a producer and a researcher we're always looking for people yeah. you know we're always looking for new novelty right. and for young people and for people with something slightly different about them um, and I suppose for me again being female being in Cork if not strictly from Cork <laughs> and um, having being new were immensely useful to me right. um, in a way that maybe not everyone would spot that those are actually pluses for you yeah. lots of the time yeah I mean you're not going to be appointed editor, editor of the examiner because you're young and female and new but you will get all these other opportunities mm. um, and like I see it sometimes we'd ask people to come on the show and they're like oh my god I couldn't and I'm like if you want to get anywhere you never say that you sure. know you never ever say that um, because like that's how you grow you know mm. and like that a lot of the time it is say yes and figure it out yeah. afterwards yeah. Um but some people operate like that yeah. and I operate like that other people kind of physically can't operate like that it's not in them yeah, yeah. and for them obviously there are other ways of doing things but in media certainly you have to be willing to just say yes mm -hmm. you know and very interesting to, to hear all that and as you were talking through it freedom variety mm. are words you use yeah. regularly yeah. and and obviously not obviously but very apparent you're very confident and you know you, you don't kind of overthink things maybe you yeah. just go forward big into kind of identifying you know what makes people up and their core values would those resonate with you mm. as, as key ones what other kind of factors have made you successful in what you are and you're very connected to them um i suppose i mentioned it talking about miriam O'Callaghan. i think empathy is really important oh. and i think that um in the media a lot of the time people don't sense that there is empathy um you know it's funny from an external point of view, maybe as a reader of a newspaper, you won't sense the empathy. But a lot of the time, if say if something terrible happened to you and a journalist came to interview about it, um, the best journalists and the best tabloid journalists in particular are very empathetic people. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got a job to do and the job may sometimes involve being cynical. You know, if it bleeds, it leads, all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, and I know speaking personally about this, you know, we're interviewing somebody who has had a family member murdered or who has been through some horrific unspeakable thing mm. and you know we feel probably more I guess empathetic isn't the word because you haven't been through it but I will have more sympathy and more feeling for that person at the time that I'm interviewing them and I will want them to get whatever it is they came to us looking for. Sure. And like an awful lot of the time people are coming to us because they want to throw a, a spotlight on violence against women or on sentencing law or on sexual offences or whatever it is. And like when a lot of the time when we put forward that story, we're doing it to assist them with their campaign or with their trying to get what they need from it a lot of the time someone just wants someone to talk to and we're there for that and so it's funny as the end user of a media product you don't necessarily see that mm. but there is often a relationship between a journalist and a subject 
of real trust and of real empathy and of real fellow feeling. Mm. Um, and like that, I mean, you'd see that in, say, Paul Byrne, who's the, the Southern correspondent for TV3. Paul has amazing relationships with so many of his subjects and they trust him with their lives. Mm. You know, PJ would have that with people. Um, and, you know, Mary McCallaghan has it. You have to have it to do the story justice. Sure. Um, and I, so I think empathy is very, very important. And I think like in life, empathy and compassion are very important. Um, and you can't, I suppose I said, be human first mm. and then be whatever it is else it is you want to be. But you can't put that aside. Um, like it's sometimes I suppose you look at things like um, regulations around broadcasting um, for the BAI or say codes of conduct that certain broadcasters would have. And they ignore the reality that it's a human doing the job a lot of the time. Mm. Um, like Ray Darcy got into an awful lot of trouble over um, the repeal campaign because like quietly Ray Darcy had been talking about termination for medical reasons for years and years and years um, as an injustice that was happening. You know, the situation was so unjust for people. Right. And it was only once the referendum was called that he was called out on not being impartial in his coverage of it but like realistically if you're a parent and you maybe have been through something similar or you could have gone through something similar um, how are you not going to empathise with that Mm. so it's impossible to be to to actually feel impartial obviously as a broadcaster you have a duty to give both sides equal time and to not totally colour the listener's experience of an interview or whatever but at the same time like you can't not feel you know, and expecting people in any job to separate their feelings from their work entirely, you know, is impossible. Mm. Interesting. And I believe empathy is a superpower in these mm. current times, right? And it's definitely talked about a lot more in, in, in even in work and business and in all sorts of industries. Do you also need a very thick skin to be in the business you're in? Yeah, you do. You um, have to have automatically or something you can develop? You, yeah, you develop it. Like there are stories I've done where I have questioned the wisdom of doing that story afterwards, you know. And these days, I suppose, partly I will say since I became a parent, um, I'm less likely to pursue a story wholeheartedly if I feel that there was some, would be some ethical question over it, even if it's a very good good story, you know, mm. or if I feel it's going to be damaging to somebody. Um we deal with an awful lot of very vulnerable people and we don't have the same kind of um, obligations, we'll say, that, say, a public service worker dealing with them would have or whatever. Um, but we have our own moral codes personally and you have to live by them first. Um, so, you know, there there are stories I would have done maybe when I was younger that I would look back on them now and go, you know, I wouldn't do that now. Mm. Um, and there's one in particular that I think about regularly and... Like, you know, if I had my time over, I would not do that. Um, But I suppose that's life experience for you. You can't know that when you're, you know, 22 and going, God, this is a brilliant story. I'll definitely get this into all the nationals or whatever. Mm. Um, But looking back maturely, you can go, yeah, that was unwise. And it wasn't it it wasn't something that I can um, that I would now reconcile with my own values, you know. Sure. Well, yeah, like if you don't make the mistake, you will not know if it was the the wrong thing to do. You need to know where the line is, but it can take a long time to establish the line. Yeah, you know. Do, do you on the on the point of reflecting back? Is that mm. something you do uh, 
stringently have you an approach for that or is it you know do you do you kind of look back and say today was a good day and that, that was a good show or is it just more very ad hoc um it's more ad hoc but like we do look back at the end of every show and kind of go you know are we happy with that or not what can we learn from in it um i suppose the thing about media is and certainly the environments i've worked in have been very unstructured and it's gas like you talk to anybody who has gone from the media to working in a corporate environment and they're like like some kind of shell shock with the bureaucracy and the oh the bureaucracy and the box ticking and form filling and but the thing is a lot of that is is there for a reason mm-hmm. and a lot of it is useful um and some of it can be you know very um you can learn from it you know and very improving so i i do try and bring a little bit of that to what we do like i know say when i started on the show and there um many years am i there five years this year and um, I'm actually in Cork 10 years next week it's like my anniversary I think I should have a party or something um, when life really began <laughs> you know um, but the when I started on the show um, I suppose the show that had been there previous to us had ways of doing things because they had been there for a really long time um, and no personnel were transferring over from the old show to the new show which gave us an opportunity to remake it and I guess um, from the newspaper uh, dealing with deadlines and dealing with you know a space that needs to be filled and I suppose designing our website which I, I would have designed the um, old, the old Cork independent website and the um, content management system I would have had a lot of input into the design of that okay. um, again one of the first ones that went to print and web in Ireland um, right. strangely enough um, it's gas the Indo didn't get that for years later and when they did I'm a contributor to the Herald when they did I was like oh, I know all about this yeah. I made one of these I'm and they're kind of like how did you make one of these you yeah. know so um, but like that I suppose it was the variety of that job but sure. um when I came to the radio station, I remember being like, like horrified at how unstructured everything was. And I remember the boss saying to me, like, it's not a paper. You don't fill every five minutes with a thing, you know, right. see how it unfolds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and learning to let go a little bit was yeah. a big thing for me. But at the same time, I did bring some structure to it. So we have a particular way of working. We have um, work practices that involve obviously it's very very fluid it has to be very fluid but the way we do things means that we have a record of every change that's made to a document every um, input who put it in what was done how a person was contacted um, you know if they've been rang like seven times or whatever Uh, at one point we were keeping records of you know when was a person on the show last that kind of thing obviously GDPR these days that's not really compliant so can't do that anymore but um, we, we are quite structured in our approach because I suppose again learning from the experience of the previous tenants of our, our slot um, when people leave you lose everything if you don't have it all recorded mm. um, and if you don't have a, a very a format for how you do things okay. um, so we have a format it has survived my two maternity leaves pretty much intact <laughs> y- yeah you know when the person who, who made it is gone yeah, yeah, does yeah. it still survive yes it does great okay. um, with some improvements you know I came back and they were like oh we're doing this now and it's like actually that really works great okay. you know um, because Fergal my colleague is um Oh, he's a genius. He's wonderful, you know, and he just, he's a much more organized mind than I have, um, which is great because, um, he sort of, he, he, he and I complement each other quite well on that, you know. Yeah. I'd be sort of going off on Skites and Fergal's like, okay, but what about this? And like, yes, that, we should do that, you know. Mm. So he's good, yeah. It's interesting, again, the, 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 the difference between being an editor and working on, on this show, yeah. when you're in the newspaper, that, now you have to be much more in the moment mm. uh, based on who... You, so can you even really plan for 
what is coming in on the day? I know you said you have some slots lined up, but but that being present is very important. Yeah, it is. And being flexible and not being afraid to upset people by cancelling them. That's the thing that was a bit of a baptism of fire, you know, and learning who you can and can't cancel and how you go about that and all the rest of it. I'll never forget one time we cancelled. <laughs> it was silly season and there was a politician who we had gone to great trouble to get through with seven different people in the press office on about some really boring press release that they had issued because we were like, there's actually nothing in there for tomorrow. Um, and there was some breaking news story. Now, the breaking news story was an extremely minor kind of a nearly a viral thing it wasn't quite the swans and the blackwood bypass but it was something of that <laughs> okay. nature and um i remember ringing the press officer and going oh look we don't have time for such and such today because um something lo- a lo- a, you know a local story has come up and they were like what's a local story <laughs> and i was like well um yeah it's whatever it was uh, missing carrier pigeons or something you know and and um, they were like re- like really you're actually you're yeah, actually undoing all my work for this. And I was like, look, that's what the listener wants. That's what the listener gets. And I suppose, and that is what the listener wants. They don't want to listen to some politician blathering on about whatever. Sure. So I suppose you have to have confidence in judgment that actually this is more interesting and I have to go with this and that's my priority the odd time you know you'll say okay well we don't want to upset that person because they've been really good to the show or they're you know or they've a lot of the time it might be an ordinary person again who's put aside time in their busy life which we all have Mm. um, who you really don't want to upset because they've been like preparing for this for 24 hours Um, but if it's someone who's kind of getting more out of it than we're getting out of it I'd be like yeah good luck (laughs) you know Um, so you have to be very fluid and Like that goes from minute to minute. Like PJ will be in the, mid- in the middle of talking to someone and we'll have four people lined up for maybe the next hour and a half. And I'll go, do you know what? Now we won't put Mary next because that's too similar to this thing. We'll ring someone else right. and then we'll ring that someone else and their phone is off. And I go, okay, Johnny's dropped out for today. We'll get back to him later. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've just seen this thing on Twitter. Will you try and ring them? Okay. And it literally goes like that. Okay. Um, cool. So it's, you're on your toes. I was listening to you talk about the role you're in now and and your experience would you say you are doing what you're meant to be doing are you very very happy and, and is there a, is there anything that you would love to add to what you do on a day-to-day basis that would make it even more fulfilling yeah i mean i always have little side projects going on um like i said variety is is yeah. a big thing for me and um i don't have a great attention span which is why this job really suits me mm-hmm. um like literally every day the show is different mm. there are some things that remain the same but the topic is different you're talking to different people um so I I still write a bit and I write for different papers. Um, I'm like I'm really lucky. Like if I have an opinion floating around in my head, I can just pitch it and say, "Do you want something on this?" And I have great editors. And again, there's a freedom in that. I don't have a weekly column, so I don't have to come up with something. But when I get a bee in my bonnet, I can write about it, which is amazing. Um, and get paid first, which is even more amazing, you know. Um. The other things I suppose that I have done over the years, I've done bits and pieces of TV, uh, I enjoy that, um, but actually a couple of things um, that I've done abroad I've really enjoyed. So um, I've got the Simon Cumbers Media Fund Award a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, grant-aided research abroad, stories in developing countries, and yeah. 
that's something that I really love doing. I don't think I would love doing it full time. Sure. Um, you know, all the travel and all the rest of it, not compatible with the normal life. Mm-hmm. But um, if I could do a project like that, maybe once a year, I would just, that would be brilliant. And there's no reason I can't, you know, in later years and the kids are a little bit older. Um, so I've been to Rwanda doing that. I've been to Cambodia doing that. Um, I was in Haiti after the earthquake and mm-hmm. um, doing something similar. So I really enjoy that because I think... Um, we can be so in danger being in our own bubble here, especially, I suppose, as a journalist as well, you know. You feel sometimes that you're experiencing so much of the negative of things. You know, it's no news if it's not bad news kind of a thing. Sure. But, um, you know, you get a bit of perspective going abroad, looking at how other people live and how other people do things. Mm-hmm. And um, I enjoy travel, but I actually enjoy travel much more when I'm working traveling because as a journalist you have this amazing access you can literally rock up to somebody's house and be like hey will you tell me about your life Mm. and like nobody else can do that you know that only struck me recently actually I was talking to somebody who used to be a journalist and has now gone into the corporate world and he was like oh my god you don't realize the access you have Mm. to not important people necessarily and you know there is that but Mm. it's not about that it's I have this license to be nosy that nobody else has. Mm. Like, I, we've been in person, you know, social settings or whatever a couple of times recently, actually, with my husband. And maybe don't socialize that much anymore, so he's not that aware of it normally. And because um, we have two small children, so uh, we don't go anywhere. And uh, we were at, I don't know, a wedding or something there last year. And someone, I was talking to somebody beside me and I was like, oh, and like, where do you live and what do you do? Whenever? And he was like, you're not interviewing them. And I said, but I'm curious. And they were like, sure. like, I wouldn't, wouldn't tell my bank manager this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm so used to being able to ask people the most personal questions um, <laughs> that I actually have no filter anymore. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I must remember normal people do not talk like this. Um, let's talk about the weather some more, you know, yeah. but it just means you have amazing conversations. And because I have that privilege and that access and I have can call myself a journalist, yeah. I can just go to anyone, take out my notebook or my tape recorder and say, you know, tell me about your childhood. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. amazing, you know. Well, that's interesting. It's, it's like I'm obviously not on the same level, but since I spun up the podcast, yeah, and you know, if I wasn't doing a podcast, you and I wouldn't be talking. This right is now, it, you know. Yeah, and yeah. It gives that little window into the world of the other people, um, which is fascinating. You learn so much from, and it's it's that element of curiosity. I think you, yeah. you mentioned that and you like can have ordinary people have the most interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, it's uh, back to that Tommy Tiernan thing in the pod, uh, the sorry, the talk show yeah. phenomenon. You know, like Jordan. Sure, look, yeah, her story was interesting once upon a time. God love her. She's done every flipping thing <laughs> and had every personal crisis you could have but at the same time you can bet Mary down the road has just as much emotional turmoil in her life mm-hmm. uh, probably in a more interesting way yeah. um, you just don't know what's behind anybody's front door yeah. and um, that's kind of I suppose that's what makes me tick I'm like God really like someone will be telling me anything pretty much and I'm like that's so interesting and I genuinely do think most things are that interesting yeah. you know yeah no I, I totally get it and it's it's a privilege from that perspective mm. just to be able to chat to people in uh, with the mo- right motivation obviously it's yeah. not to promote myself or anything yeah. like that it's the other person but but um i'm lucky from from that perspective you sound like uh, there's planning involved right but do you set goals for yourself do you have targets how do you uh i suppose do that and measure your your mm. levels of progress and success i'm getting God. corporate on you now, yeah sorry. no you see you are and this is this is where my career trajectory um, like as I said I've been really lucky I've never been out of work and that's mm. something that I'm so conscious of especially for my age group um, like most of my friends have been unemployed or whatever at some period my husband has been um, during the recession right. Um so I'm very conscious that I've been really lucky Um, but equally I suppose a lot of the time I have 
you know, just spotted an open door and it's I've been there at the right time. Equally, though, I do, I have kind of, I suppose, actually maternity leave is a really good time for reflection on these kind of things mm. because you do take stock when you're going back to work. And it's funny, men don't have that breakout of the workforce yeah. for um, where you do get a chance to reflect because obviously you're very busy. It's not a holiday all of that but you do My get time to would think. agree who's at home on maternity leave yeah moment, like so it's yeah. it's it's a slog like yeah. it's exhausting it depends how easy your baby is too my first one was really difficult my second one was a breeze okay. so I actually had a great time the second right, one right. I was still able to do writing and I was still able to do bits of things okay. work wise and keep myself kind of motivated yeah. which was really a godsend for me because I got very bored the first time as well um but um so I did have a lot of time to reflect actually on, I suppose, where I am at at the moment, where my career has gone, how it has progressed. And um, I realized that a few years ago, someone offered me a job and I didn't even realize they were offering me a job. Mm. I was like, God, if I had taken them up on that, where would, you know, where would I be now? And there are so many times in your life that you are at that crossroads. But actually, I probably didn't even realize most of the times mm. um, because in the media, it's not a question of, you know, a recruiter ringing you and going you know we'd like to interview for this job like it works like that in tech or in like normal jobs but in the media it's someone kind of going do you know now I'm looking for someone for such a thing and I was I remember someone literally saying this to me and me being like oh I know someone looking for a job actually yeah I'll give you his number and I that's what I did and I've done that at least three different times when I think they now they were probably trying to recruit me okay (laughs) they don't don't actually say they leave it open the space okay yeah no and is it would it be not it's if you're in a role they're not poaching would that be unethical or is it yeah, just they're not too bothered about that normally yeah. like I have been approached to be poached a couple of times okay. and it was all done the first time was hilarious done a real Celtic tiger flashy kind of a way um, you know we took brown envelope uh, no but I think there was cocaine involved I wasn't <laughs> oh, taking Jesus it but the guy Christ. who was recruiting us certainly was, was oh on something and it was all very like late night in a bar and uh, oh you know girls I can make you stars kind of thing I was wow. like do you want us to be journalists or prostitutes like this is all going very strange oh. direction and um, his his adventure crashed and burned spectacularly about a year later Um, but because I suppose that was the brief bit of the Celtic Tiger that I was there for and there was an awful lot of that going on Um, I suppose most of the time that I have been working and there hasn't been a lot of poaching going on because people have literally been trying to get rid of people as opposed to hire any um, like it's been layoffs and cutbacks and pay cuts um, like I think in the course of the recession I think it took six pay cuts um, so you know like there hasn't been a lot of scope really Um again like you know how I got my current job was not by the book um, because there is no book really sure. for it okay. um, it wasn't being openly advertised because there was a crisis and it was all sort of you know ca- there's an opportunity there will I take it right. and that's how you know that's how it has always happened for me mm. um, but equally I have blithely missed loads I'd say of opportunities that probably yeah. were there that I didn't even realise um, this lady who offered me the job a few years ago I met her at a conference recently and I was like you know it just struck me last week when I saw your name on this that you actually offered me a job and she was like I did oh God. <laughs> I like I didn't realise good so, lord um, so in terms of measuring where you're at and things so as part of it is financial um, like as a journalist if you can say you're financially secure that is like 99% of the package right. um, I'm very happy in that regard um, I'm lucky uh, to be that way um, I'm able to do I have a day job that pays the bills that I enjoy that keeps me motivated and I can do my side projects like that's kind of the dream really Um, the only thing that would be better is if I won the lotto and said lads I'm going to come in the days I feel like it (laughs) and some days I'll just be like yeah do without me that's the only way it would be better yeah it's it's interesting I hope you don't mind me saying that you mentioned luck a lot but uh, it strikes me 
you work very hard. And yeah. It's, it's you, you know, the, you make your own luck and mm. luck equals hard work plus opportunity. So, you know, I, I'm not. Yeah. But, but I just think you're probably giving yourself. Uh, maybe. Not as enough credit. Um, I suppose like. You know, I suppose we were all our own harshest critics a lot of the time. And like, I'd be looking at myself from an exterior perspective at times going, you're such a chancer. Like you didn't half bother doing that properly and look, it worked out fine. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, like my, my, one of my key characteristics is being very slapdash about things. I'm actually not terribly, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a every um, full stop and T crossed sure. person. Right. Um, I'm not a details person. And, I kind of have great faith that the bigger picture is always going to work out. Okay. And like a lot of the times when, when I mentioned, you know, that show where you're there on a rainy Tuesday and everything is falling apart at quarter to nine. Well, we've still never not had a radio show. Yeah. And obviously it varies in quality day to day. A lot of the time that quality is beyond your control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I suppose I don't beat myself up about the bad days. I do think you have to learn from them and what could we have done to make that better um, and you know if we make mistakes or we have issues around a topic or whatever you have to learn from that but at the same time I don't believe in flagellating myself or getting really het up because it didn't work out and I do think that's something that has come to me with age right. um, that I my work motivates me and I enjoy it and I love it but at the same time like at the end of the day it's still only a job mm. Um nobody is going to well unless we did our job extremely badly nobody's going to live or die on the basis of it and I I suppose I say that with the full knowledge that sometimes we're dealing with very vulnerable people and that we can have an impact on people's lives that is very serious Um, but at the same time in the general run of things you know I'm not curing cancer Mm -hmm. you know and I'm not going to um, I don't have somebody bleeding out on an operating table in front of me that's a level of stress I wouldn't be able to deal with Um, it's a stressful job but it's the kind of stress that gets you excited and motivated okay. rather than the kind of stress that makes you curl up in a ball, you know. Right. Um, look, I do I, I do think it's very important. I do. And mm. timing is everything really. Mm. And um, for that reason, I would say I've been lucky. Like, okay. funnily enough, you can look at this both ways, I suppose. I say I've been very lucky to have never have been out of work. Who knows, if I had been out of work at some point, would I have gone to London and be working at the BBC now? Yeah, yeah, very possibly, you know. And now I can look at that and say, actually, I'm, I'm quite happy with where I am because of the variety and because of the security. And I love living in Cork. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of me that kind of goes, you know, if you wanted to prove something, you should have done that. Yeah. Um, but what have I to prove? Yeah. You know, the only person you have to prove anything to is yourself. And it has, I think actually, again becoming a parent and getting a bit of that kind of perspective on life um, where you sort of are like, well, actually, I have my life set up in a way that is very livable Mm. and that is very enjoyable. And I do see friends of mine who did go to London or Dublin for kind of a big job who are now in a situation and it's a real Cork thing, I think, as well, of like being like a homing pigeon that can't come home. And they're they're, they're stuck in a bit of a, a rat race of... They're earning X and they can't drop that income level because their entire life is built around that. Um, You know, they can't take time off to be with their kids. Mm. They don't finish until 7 p.m. That kind of thing. Like my job finishes, I suppose, theoretically at three o'clock in the day. Now, obviously, it doesn't really. I'm always on. I'm always watching the news. My phone is never out of my hand. But at the same time, I'm able to physically go like I'm off to the beach now after talking to you for the evening. Mm-hmm. If I was in London working on the BBC, I'd probably be working all night. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was working the big job that sometimes maybe I feel I should have gone for, 
that wouldn't be an option. Yeah. And I value quality of life mm. as much as any kind of success, really, in, in the terms that we understand success professionally, you know. Yeah. No, good, good one. Uh, and you answered the work-life balance question wrapped up in that perfectly yeah. as well. I'm conscious of time, so I did want to finish with maybe two, three questions. One of them is from one of our uh, followers on Twitter, right? So I said I'd have to put this out. It's always a good way to get some questions in. And it is a question I would typically ask, but they were looking for five people that were dead that you would bring to a, a dinner party. Oh God, and I, was I saw like, this and then I many. forgot to think about it. So <laughs> yeah. I, said, I said two and I think we, we agreed on three. But does anyone come up uh, when you think about it on any reason why? Um, it's one of those kind of cheesy end of podcast questions. It is, yeah. but like I, I do think they, they tell you a lot about a person. Um... I've always been kind of fascinated with the Tudor queens. Mm. Um, Queen Elizabeth I, I'd love to know how how she did anything, how she did everything that she did. Right. And obviously, like, as an Irish person, I'd be like, you know, get out of her country, go home. But also, like, how, in such a man's world, like, you know, I mean, I'm a, very much a feminist and women in so many places in the world still do have it so difficult, such difficult lives. Um, but she had, like, such a... Uh, everything about her life is so challenging um, but she did it on her own terms and I'm like God how did you do that mm. um, in terms of other people um, I don't really know I'm, I'm funny I don't really have idols because I don't believe in them um, everybody is human you know like for example we mentioned Mary Robinson earlier Mary Robinson is coming in for loads of stick now over mm. this thing with the uh, president the princess rather from the UAE and nobody is perfect yeah. and I don't believe in putting anyone on a pedestal yeah, yeah, yeah. um a. a gill probably would be another person he's a journalist from the sunday times that died was it two years ago okay. he was actually the food critic from the sunday times right. and he wrote some of the most amazing pieces of journalism i've ever read um years and years ago and i'd say 2008 or 2009 i can actually remember where i was when i read it oh. it was a feature in the sunday times magazine about haiti and about children roaming rubbish tips looking for metal and things right. like that and look at those features you know poverty porn is everywhere and misery porn is everywhere but his writing just absolutely brought it to life for me and I remember reading that and going if I could ever write like that mm. said that would be that would be success to me mm. and like I've written a couple of pieces ever that I've gone god I'm actually really proud of that and I'm really happy with that um, but I suppose that piece say, inspired me to want to go to Haiti and to discover right. more about Haiti right. like he he evoked so much of like the such as the gothic voodoo culture of Haiti and the 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 misery of the poverty there and the political situation and everything and I remember just reading that and being like absolutely overwhelmed by it and he was but he could bring that same talent in writing to dissecting you know a chicken breast that he got in a restaurant you know really? <laughs> and the same quality of writing yeah. um and i really miss reading him on a sunday it was such a treat and there's nobody to match him mm. it's always when i read a, any piece that just jumps out and that's so well written and tightly written and it makes me feel both emotions of wow this is amazing and and like equally like Jesus I will never be able to put, like my writing is like five year old kind of <laughs> language and sure it's, it's just, not that it's bad. just no but that's what it makes me feel like yeah, in yeah. some ways that I could never do it but I suppose helping helping you strive for yeah. for more and and I think you mentioned perfection I, I don't believe in perfection at yeah. all either uh, excellence is the kind of other you, you're always going in the right direction I think yeah. that's, that's definitely important last one you talk a lot about books um and I always like I have a book page on the website. So mm. is there any inspiring book that you could 
mention that people might know about that mm. would be good to listen that with a kind of angle that could help people make themselves a little bit better in one way to fall in with the team of the show yeah know. I'm a fiction reader so I okay. don't read any improving <laughs> right. books at all well, I'm sure there's some um, that would uh, out of fiction oh every, yeah like that's why I read fiction you yeah, know yeah. we talk about people's stories like fact is stranger than fiction but at the same time um, fiction again it's about empathy and a good writer can make you feel for people and you know like it's it's all about people's stories in terms of um at the moment i'm on a big thriller binge so i'm just like downloading thrillers onto my ipad because I, I have a baby that sleeps in the bed with me so i have to read them backlit you know okay. and um literally i finish one and start the next one that's it's like netflix for other wow. people okay. um but obviously i can't have any sound because yeah, the baby's yeah. asleep so um that's what i'm reading at the moment but do you do um, audiobooks at all you just no because yeah. again i'm never anywhere that i can have sound on by myself at right. the moment okay. um like when i'm in work i'm listening to the show obviously i'm listening to other shows then after that for research and um i am not in the car very often by myself okay. so um i'm trying to think of i mary robinson's climate justice book is a very interesting yeah. read actually yeah. do you know what that's very inspiring because it is not negative mm. and i think when i was when I opened it and when I got the brief to, to that I was going to be interviewing her, I was like, oh, this is going to be really depressing. And it is a bit, um, obviously, because climate change is profoundly depressing and awful. Mm -hmm. But actually, the book is amazing in that it brings you into the lives of so many people whose lives are being affected directly now by climate change um, and shows you what they are doing about it. And there are things that they can do about it and are doing about it mm -hmm. and that we can help them do. Um, and actually, it's very empowering in that respect. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a nonfiction quality read. Um, there's another one called Factfulness, which I would recommend everyone read. Okay. Again, because of my job, you get this into this uh, rhythm of like the world is awful and there's all these crimes and there's all this poverty and everything. But actually, the world has never been a better place to live, mm -hmm. apart from the whole climate change thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that book is full of statistics about how there's less violence, there's fewer people starving, there's more people healthy, there's less disease. All of these things that humanity has achieved. Um, and it does make you hopeful that maybe actually we can, if we get our shit together, actually tackle climate change, you know. Mm. Cool. Good way to end it that uh, we have Mary Robinson at the start and at the end yeah. as if we, we planned it. Deirdre, thanks so much for doing this. You have a website if people want to follow you. Yeah, com. I have a monthly newsletter as well which is at the moment not monthly because I'm a bit late doing it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, I know uh, that feeling. Yeah. I, I have a weekly newsletter that goes out every two or three weeks. Oh at the God, moment, yeah, so, yeah, that's a lot of work. It's no, not, that's a lot yeah, of work. It's not, um, not they're, 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 they're finicky old things. Um, so I have that and there's book recommendations, TV recommendations and a bit about what I'm up to and my own writing um, in it. And so please, yeah, do follow me and sign up to that. And there's a, an exclusive monthly prize for subscribers oh, wow. so uh, yeah there's some really nice prizes I'm kind of should just keep them really play, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very good so you can put this up on uh, on there once we, we put it out probably next weekend great um, brilliant look thanks so much for taking the time out uh, I know you're a busy lady and you have to get to uh, pick up the, yeah. the smallies I have to get home to mine as well and it was a pleasure to meet you thanks great. so much thank you thank best of luck with the interview uh, with Mary Robinson as well cheers thanks Hey guys, just before you go, I'd love to hear from you if anything specific stood out from that episode, something you might take away and try and implement in your own personal or professional life to help make you that little bit better. On the other side, is there anything you think I could do better to make the show even more enjoyable, more impactful and maybe meaningful? So drop me a note, rob at robofthegreen.ie or connect in on any of the social platforms at robofthegreen. We also have a community on Facebook, 
check that out if you're really enjoying the show maybe you could try and leave a rating or a review on itunes apple Podcasts app go in there give us a rating let us know how we're doing that'll help with the ranking of the podcast up those charts the more folks that potentially see it because we're high up the better the more that might listen that never heard of it before and the goal of the show is to try and reach more and more people and have that impact more and more so that's down to you please do help me with that i'm not going down the route of hiring podcast promoters quote unquote from other parts of the world because they say they can help with the ranking and i don't really believe them or it's not very authentic help me do it in an authentic way i'd really appreciate it this year i'm going more all in on patreon so it's three bucks a month you can sign up subscribe to rob of the green on patreon.com that will give you access to patreon only content nearly all the episodes of the 864 podcast are on there and new ones will be added only there the one percent better show will have early releases there but will still come out for free on rob of the there'll also be live shows this year some phone-in shows extra content three euros a month will hopefully the more folks that subscribe allow me to do more and more stuff on there add more and more content at the end of the day that's the price of a pair of socks maybe that you might lose or a coffee one way or the other it's up to you if you want to join you'll still get free stuff otherwise but if you're enjoying what we're doing help us grow help us expand it i'd really appreciate that adding new stuff onto the website all the time there's an affiliates page under the be better drop down check in there there's training courses that you can sign up to more and more stuff will come in over time into season three now of this fun fun journey huge learning hopefully you're getting something from it too stick with it let's keep going enjoy the journey even more have a great day week weekend and thanks for checking it out good luck